This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, we read the next two installments in the Eric Carter series by Stephen Blackmore. I read book two, Broken Souls, and Nick read book three, Hungry Ghosts. This is Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are back here with another week of uh, terrible, awful books that aren't actually that bad this time around. And we also have a second dog in our house, so you might hear twice the usual amount of dog claws crinkling on hardwood floors. Well, this is the first time we've recorded in the, the basement in a long time. We moved the computer because That's now true. now that it's been a year and a half of Susan working at home and she's going to go back uh, here in a couple months, uh, we decided to get a real desk instead of a folding table. <laughs> so now that she's gone, it's time to actually get professional. I mean, the folding table was totally fine for the last year. We made it work. It's all good. And now you have this nice desk for your work from home situation, which is nothing. I don't. <laughs> uh, hey, what I if I know anything about women and when they say it's fine, we don't need to talk about it anymore. Well, the big reason that we got a new desk is because Mick used to have uh, a well, crappy thirty-five dollar Walmart desk uh, where he kept his computer in the office. But the office is no more because the office is transforming. Into its new role as baby's room. Baby's room. Yay, baby room. Yeah, I think it comes from the German baby's realm. <laughs> Which means? Baby's room. <laughs> uh, well, no, it'd be like the baby space. Anyway, uh, we, Susan uh, was not very happy to find that for the third week in a row, Second week in a row. Second week in a row. She would be reading an Eric Carter uh, novel. She read Broken Souls by Stephen Blackmore, and she responded... In a familiar way, and got me, uh, I don't know if you've heard of this series, but it's the Eric Carter Necromancer <laughs> series. Uh, she got me Hungry Ghosts, book three from Stephen Blackmore. So I, I will say, I think I got the better end of this deal in a lot of ways, because I got you book five. You responded by getting me book one. Then you got me book two, and I got you book three. So... I have gotten to read the first and second in that order. So I feel like I have a better understanding, I think, of uh, what's actually happening in yeah. this series, which As is nice. As the four non-blondes would say, you have a better understanding of what's, what's going, going on. So I said, hey, Susan, tell me about Stephen Blackmore's Broken Souls. Okay, so the big thing that happened in book one is that we were introduced to Eric Carter, who's a necromancer. He accidentally got married to Santa Muerte, the goddess of death, uh, because she tricked him by murdering his sister. So we're dealing with the fallout of all of that at the beginning of book two, and I'm assuming through the rest of the series. Uh, so in this book, sort of the main plot line of this, a lot of continuation from book one He's trying to rid himself of that connection with Santa Muerte. And so he's reaching out to like every mage or necromancer that he knows might be powerful enough to help him. Uh, he makes in, like an appointment with this guy named Dr. Harvey Kettleman, 
who he thinks might be able to help him, goes to meet Kettleman, and it turns out Kettleman is dead, and it's actually a Russian guy named Sergei wearing Kettleman's skin as a suit. Yeah. Yeah, so we just really start off with a bang in this one. Uh, Sergei was sort of working in combination with Santa Muerte. She gave him this weapon. It's an obsidian knife that allows him to skin people alive and then wear their skin as a suit. And when he's wearing their skin, he also has all of their memories. But then he turns on Santa Muerte because he's trying to gain power for himself. So now we've got this rogue Russian on the loose murdering people for their skin. Terrifying. I mean, really, no. Uh, the only person that Eric thinks might be able to help him is a supposedly very powerful witch who lives on Skid Row, known as the Bruja. Uh, so he goes to find her. It turns out she's actually a recent college graduate uh, who's just sort of set up this whole persona of the Bruja. Um, she's a quite powerful mage, but uh, is not an old woman. We as met she her in my be. book as well. The, not Gabriela, the, not my current book, but my the first book I read. Yeah, she. Yeah, she sets up her own little street gang. Yes, she does. Um, then Eric meets Santa Muerte's ex-husband, uh, and he tells Eric that Santa Muerte oh, is actually name? I can't pronounce it. It's an Aztec name, Mecatecatecahuacatl. Sure. It begins with an M and ends with a Watl. So does Santa Muerte's name, unfortunately. Yes. Um, That'd be like if in the Greeks, there there was like, oh, the, the main god of death is Hades and his wife is Halley's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we only changed one name in or the middle? Or Shades. <laughs> um, At least then it would start with a different letter. The ex-husband tells Eric, she's just playing you. She's trying to get me back and she's using you to do it. Uh, so then he realizes he's kind of caught in this like power struggle between the two of them. Uh, it turns out at the end, she's not doing that. She is using Eric, but not to get the husband back. She's using Eric to because in order for Mictlan, their land of the dead, to reach its full power, it needs both a king and a queen. Uh, her ex-husband is trying to gain power all by himself by killing Eric and Santa Muerte. She's trying to gain power by basically turning Eric into the newer version of the husband so that she can have a partner that she controls. So they'll both be ruling, but she'll be in charge. Uh, It turns out Tabitha, who is the love interest from book one, is actually Santa Muerte in disguise. And at the very end, Eric decides that he's going to kill Santa Muerte and her husband. So he ends the book armed with the obsidian knife, ready to go kill some gods. Uh, so that's kind of like big plot of my book. I'll go through some things that I thought were like good or fun or funny about it. But in terms of plot line, like does that sound about like yours a, picks up it is about a straight line into my book? Yeah. Um, do you want me to finish talking about mine first and then or do you want to share your plot now? No, you got to finish your discussion. Why didn't this is we have two. There are books expectations in a to okay. this format. One thing that I mentioned last time was liking the world building where marriage, uh, magic was a little bit different in each city. Like each city had its own sort of like flavor Mm -hmm. of magic. Uh, That kind of continues into this one. 
Every city has a shadow market, those places you go to buy things Walmart's never going to carry. Luck charms that really work, low-grade curses that'll give your enemies warts or a bad case of the clap, protections and wards for all and sundry. Some of the markets are hidden, some are out in the open. New York's got five, from the one in an abandoned subway tunnel that hasn't seen a train in a hundred years, to the group-run stoop sale spread across half a dozen brownstones in Brooklyn. New Orleans sits within Materi Cemetery and waterlogged passageways shored up by 200-year-old lumber with an entrance through a Confederate soldier's mausoleum. One in downtown LA is hidden in plain sight, selling love potions and bullet wand charms alongside the Skid Row hustlers selling knockoff Prada and Louis Vuitton. Whether it's a collection of street vendors selling from blankets out in the open or a hidden complex in abandoned sewer, every city's got one. Used to be a drive-in movie theater in downtown Toronto, which I just kind of like the idea that, like... Even the Canadian's magic shop is a little bit boring. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you um, know, I really need this wand. But it's also, like, again, that idea of, like, magic is different depending on the place. It's shaped by the place and its history and its customs and its people, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, they're, like, that kind of stuff is is pretty good. Um, they're also... Were there really, like, grotesque moments in your book oh, yeah. at all? Yeah, it's an urban fantasy necromancer book. Of course there's gro- well, I go to the Aztec land of the dead, Susan. We see some shit. Uh, in this book, there's a little girl demon, like a demon that's presenting as a 10-year-old girl with pigtails. Uh, and she's gesturing towards a dead body and says, That's nice, Mr. Iglesias. When he came here, he said, no, 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 you must get out. So I gutted him and shit in his chest and then smeared him all around the room. And it goes on there, but she's just like super creepy. At one point, she unhinges her jaw and her teeth spring out um, and she like bites at a ghost. It's like there's just some really creepy. I feel like that's visuals an aphorism. in here. What could the aphorism bites at a ghost mean? Means like you're angry at an imaginary person, like when you invent a guy oh. to be mad at. That's like, you're really biting at ghosts, bud. Or you're like holding on to anger at a problem that really Has isn't a problem solved. anymore. Yeah. yeah, you're really biting at ghosts there. I like that. It's yeah. a good one. We should use that. Um, Let's see. Probably people out there won't like when we invent aphorisms. <laughs> I hate those people that hate when you invent things. You know? Just really biting at ghosts, I guess. <laughs> Sorry, I was reading, trying to find my quote, and I missed the first part of that. And then it 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 took me a minute to catch up. Um, I also do like the writing sometimes. Uh, he's <laughs> with Tabitha, or no, he, I'm sorry, he's with Vivian, and is trying to explain all his of, ex girlfriend. Yes, his ex girlfriend and doctor. He's trying to explain all of his injuries. She goes, "Fuck, Eric, what happened to you?" It's hard to see all of them among the tattoos, but I point to the bruises and contusions I can see, sounding off as best as I can recall. Punched. Punched, jumped off a train, punched, bitten. I don't know what that one is. Punched, ghost got me. You get the idea. Um, And it's kind of like that's his sort of dry sense of humor, but it is amusing. It makes it a pretty fun read. Um, One thing that I really liked from the last book, too, was part of his magic is he uses Sharpies and name tags, like, hello, my name is name tags. Yeah. Um, And I, I think that's really funny. Uh, when the cops show up, it doesn't take much to convince them I'm one of them. A little, these aren't the droids you're looking for, and some Sharpie magic can work wonders. Um, and I just think that's, like, really clever, and it's it's funny the way he uses it. Like, ah, shit, and he'll just slap a 
sticker that says like ignore me on his car and and be able to drive away with no one seeing it um there is another um another funny part where he is going to vivian's apartment to save her he's very much still in love with vivian (sighs) um and he walks in to her apartment and sergey who's wearing the kettleman skin suit is attacking her and this is eric's train of thought She's wearing a bathrobe and her hair's a mess and I've really missed seeing her and god damn it, why did everything have to go to hell and this isn't really the time to be thinking about that so instead I shoot Sergey. <laughs> um, so I just, I, I kind of like those little like insights into what he's thinking and it's pretty good. Uh, a bunch of stuff happens um, and it's, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was, I was gonna move beyond that. So there's a bunch of like catastrophes that he causes that are really hard to explain to the normals. Like, how do you cover up that a mage murdered a bunch of people on a train or whatever? And so he's watching the, like, normal people news. um, And they're talking about the earthquake. And they're talking about... um, Let's see, let me read it here. Sorry, I thought I found it, but I didn't. I turn on the radio, tune past the AM Spanish stations, and get to some news in English. Quake's the big story, but so is the storage facility. They're calling it gang warfare, a big firefight. I listen for a while, and then the train story comes on. Media's chewing on a terrorism angle, but the official story is a gas leak in the train car. It's amazing the stories people come up with to explain the shit they can't explain. There's a brush fire out in Lancaster, blames on a sudden Santa Ana wind that's kicked up overnight, and an errant spark. Errant spark. It's a weird feeling, being responsible for so much of the news. (laughs) Um, So... Yeah, again, overall, like, this book is bonkers, but it's fun. The writing is pretty good. It's easy to, like, get into it. Um, and I do know, I do not believe that I will read the rest of them unless you get me the fourth one next. Uh, but I am interested to hear what happens after Eric decides that he's going to kill a bunch of gods. Yeah, so uh, this book picks up, uh, as urban fantasy books often do, with a bang, with uh, the very first thing that is happening is that uh, he uh, shoots several cartel members in Mexico and blows up their base, uh, sets fire to their heroin supply, because he is going to find Santa Muerte, and Mm -hmm. he believes that uh, the road into the Aztec land of the dead is somewhere in Mexico. And so he's in kind of the uh, northern side of Mexico, like cartel land, and I will say that this had a possibility of going highly problematic. Yeah. And although I would not uh, deign to say it's unproblematic, he does shout out like, this is a really shitty place, but it's due to a number of factors, and most people in Mexico are living their lives as best they can. This is not like a lawless country of, of cartels only, and that sort of stuff. So it does shout out that, like, That's no, people are people everywhere around the world. This one just sucks for a number of reasons that are beyond any individual's control. Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff. Um, and so if you want more info on the how each magic is different, uh, New York's magic tastes like hot metal and granite. San Francisco tastes like hammered brass and filigree. Los Angeles is a twisty mess of cultures and flavors that changes from block to block. The magic here in Durango is wild and violent, hot and sweet, a product of its history. Uh, so he's hunting down uh, cartel members who he thinks can get him up and up and up, uh, closer and closer to Santa Muerte. Uh, I, I'm willing to bet there's a little bit of a time skip between our books because he's been at this for a while Mm -hmm. and he's speaking spanish it's kind of funny he speaks spanish but obviously for us it's in english yeah except for times when it's dramatic and cinematic for them to be like 
La Bruja Mujer or whatever. And then, yeah. and then he's like, the witch woman? Like, <laughs> you're already speaking Spanish. Why did this one actually be in Spanish? And then why did you translate it speaking Spanish into English? Whatever. Um, For mood setting, Nick. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, there's something here that I want to find, but I didn't because I was listening to you. Which I, I'm a very nice person. I'm glad that you're listening to me. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, you didn't deserve it. Damn right I don't deserve it. Nobody fucking deserves it. I'm in the middle of a cosmic threesome I didn't want to have, and, I- <laughs> and I'm the one getting fucked, he says. Uh, so that's the kind of uh, lingo in this book. So he has a small part of the uh, Aztec god of the dead in his brain, Mictahuatl, who we're going to call Mick, like me. That's you. Because at one point he does call him that. I'm like, that's a lot easier to remember. And then he, uh, Santa Muerte, we're just going to mm-hmm. call for the other Santa Aztec Muerte. god of the dead. Yeah. Uh, and so after he goes through this cartel, he gets to Mexico City and finds Tabitha, who is running a... Uh, like a tarot card shop. She is also a necromancer, we find, or you might have found out. But. Wait, but is it Tabitha or is it Santa Muerte well, that's inhabiting a, Tabitha? That's a whole thing because that's that's the, the question of uh, self-determination now, isn't it? How much of her is uh, Santa Muerte? It's never resolved. He is constantly confused as to his own thing. Uh, how much of himself is the Aztec God of the Dead? He is slowly turning Jade. Yes, that started happening at the end of my book. Yes, yeah, so the Aztec God is, is was uh, put into a vault by the Spanish uh, and turned into a jade statue. And uh, Eric is slowly replacing him and they're like trading. So he's turning more and more jade and assumes the Aztec God is turning more and more flesh, but is really hoping he's, he's uh, going to get there before he's all the way free. Now he gets to Mexico City, finds Tabitha and says, hey, I have to go kill uh, the Aztec God of the Dead. And she's like, are you going to kill my person, Santa Muerte, the Aztec Goddess of the Death Dead? And he's like, Yes. She goes, well, I really hope you don't do that. And he goes, yeah, but I'm gonna. But we really want you to kill the god of the dead. He goes, okay, help me get to kill him. He's like, yeah, but then you're gonna kill the goddess. Yes. (laughs) It's this kind of interesting, funny uh, thing where they need him to kill the guy uh, and want to stop him before he succeeds in killing the the lady goddess. Uh, And it's, it's kind of fun. So they go into the Aztec uh, hell, or afterlife. Mictlan. Mictlan. The, there's only one sort of afterlife in the Aztec, well, that I'm told. And it's basically like, it's really, really terrible and you have to pass all these challenges, but then you get into the afterlife, which is just the other side. And uh, But it's broken, since it only has the, the queen and not even the full power. Uh, it's not working. There's like a, a stopgap. And so it's basically this really weird post-apocalyptic afterlife. <laughs> Uh, and so he gets down there and it's hot and deserty and, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know how else to describe this than to just go for it. But, uh, he comes face to face with all the Aztecs who came here. Like if you worship Santa Muerte, cause the, the yeah. conceit of this book is basically you go to the afterlife you think yep. you're going to go to, or you I deserve to go to or whatever. Last one, yeah. And so if you've been worshiping Santa Muerte or the Aztec gods, you go to this afterlife. And so there's like Jaguar warriors from the, you know, 14 and 1500s. And then some like nar- narco traficantes yeah. who and some cops and stuff who worship Santa Muerte. And so there's like this big gap where the Aztec gods fell out of favor, but she came back as Santa Marte. And now it's this mad maxi and post-apocalyptic thing. Okay, that's actually pretty cool. Where they all have like j- like a, 
volcanic glass. What's that? Obsidian like weapons because it's the Aztec afterlife. So of yeah. course there's tons of obsidian. Uh, and you can sort of manifest stuff. It's never really explained how the dead can do this, uh, but they've manifested a bunch of what can only be described as fleets of bone cars. <laughs> <laughs> like Skeletrex makes, and I think you should leave, those friggin' bonies are going to uh, make fleets of bone cars. And so it's very Mad Max that, like, our two protagonists, yeah. Eric and Tabitha, are, like, running. And there's these cars coming over this dusty horizon and stuff. And, in fact, the cartel boss he killed at the beginning of the book is has already arrived. And they, like, meet again. He's like, sorry, but he's missing half his face or whatever. And so... Eric has to pass the Aztec trials. He skipped several of them, but has to go through the mists. And it's it's kind of other world, like most of this book, where yeah. most of my, uh, uh, de- or not Decimal, uh, Camille books were very D&D, where it's like, there's an artifact we have to go get. And so it's like yeah. a hike there and then a shortcut back. And it's very much this. He gets into Miquelon before page uh, uh, 50 and then is in there the rest of the book, basically, uh, out of around 280. See, that, that is what is great about this series because it is bonkers, but it's also bonkers in like a really fun and cool way. Like, sure, I'll take a Mad Max dystopian afterlife. Yeah, and so he has to go through the mists, which is one of the, the, the this is where the bottle, uh, the, 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 bottleneck is people have not been able to get through it so there's like 500 years of dead people stopped on the other side of the mist that have not been able to reach the afterlife yeah which is not even a nirvana they get there and it's basically just living in tenoctilon uh <laughs> with like sacrifices and everything yeah but they come back because they're already dead so they can it's like an honor to be sacrificed whatever uh so now he's in the mist and he's he has to see all of the worst moments in his life and not drown in the guilt and the sorrow that that causes or whatever that's the test i'm assuming we get uh some stuff about his parents dying and lucy dying yes yeah uh but if you want another just sort of uh even though i have had susan's help and the book after this is help uh this is still just a bonkers way to start a chapter This is chapter 12. This is how it starts. When my friend Alex, whom I'd known since he was a kid using magic to run penny ante scams on normal, had his soul consumed and replaced by the same man who'd (laughs) killed my parents, I put a bullet in his brain. And it's like, ooh. We're going. This is a spicy one out here. Yeah. And so the the dead are on the wrong side uh, of the afterlife. And they're like, it's not working. Uh, And so they're going to force Eric to do this thing and hope that he can like unclog the toilet or whatever. Yeah. And so... uh, I wasn't going to skin you, This the, the narco says. Just kill you. No one's gone through the mists in hundreds of years. Killing you will send a message to Santa Muerte, to the god of the dead, that the dead will not stand for this. They will let us to the other side. We will have power and we're not afraid to use it. Seriously? Since when did the dead unionize? <laughs> so the dead are refusing to take their treatment. Um. So he gets through the mists and to the other side. And then it, there's like an animal that's chasing him, an Aztec animal that wants to die because he promised Quetzalcoatl, the fire god, the wind yeah. god, uh, that he was going to burn the entire afterlife down. But it's he promised the Santa Ana winds to burn his house down. Yeah. And this was after he'd become king of the underworld. So it was like a genie contract that he promised the, the wrong thing or whatever. But now that he's there, he realizes that 
if he burns the afterlife down, that's killing the souls forever. Like, they don't come back. And so he's not going to do it, and Quetzalcoatl is getting really mad at him, which brings me back to the book I read the first time, which is where Quetzalcoatl is hunting him through L.A., and it's like, if I had read this book before that book, there would have been absolutely no suspense as to what was happening. Yeah. It's very clearly like, Quetzalcoatl will come find you and burn your stuff down. So whatever. Which was why I think it was even more fun to start you yeah. with book four or five or whatever what? that one was. Yeah. Like, what is happening? Uh, Bibliovile tradition. So he's slowly turning more and more jade as the uh, adventure goes on. And the more magic he uses, the faster the jade progresses. So he has to not use magic, which doesn't really super work when that's all you're used to. And uh, you are fighting already dead people. Uh, but then he gets to where the tomb's supposed to be, and it's empty. <gasps> And then uh, Santa Muerte comes and gets them, and she's really hot. And he's like, if she had appeared like this instead of the bone-faced skeleton, I might have had different ideas about marriage. Things would have been a little different. Yeah. Um, And then the god of the death, or the god, Mick, is like, oh, you have to kill her or else you're going to turn all the way into Jade and it releases this thing. And she's like, no, you have to kill him or else you're going to turn into Jade. Like, they're they're telling opposite stories, so he has to find out who to believe. And it's pretty funny... Because it's very much the worst kind of video game ending where you, like, press X to stab this one. Press circle to stab that one. And then watch the cinematic. It's Mass Effect 3. Yeah. Um, But the thing is, right as they're leading up, he's got this piece of the Aztec god in his head. um, And he falls asleep. And he he dreams often of talking to the god. It was like, why haven't you done this thing yet? And he's like, shut up. Uh, But this time he dreams that he's in the genie Darius's bottle. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Darius. And uh, Darius, like, does genie magic and, and banishes the god for a second, tells him this whole plan, but says, as soon as you think about it, when you wake up, the god will know that you know, and you'll stop it. So I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to make you forget. And then right as the timing is right, you'll remember. And so the rest of the book is him being like, what the fuck was it? Like, he's trying to remember it, but knows yeah. he can't. But you can't help but try to remember the thing. And so he gets up there, and he's on this altar, and they're going to stab Tabitha, and he realizes that they're not going to stab Tabitha to try and get Santa Muerte into their bodies. This is the whole very confusing thing that I I had in my fifth book. They don't want him to kill, or they're not trying to get them to kill the other one. They're working together and have been this entire time to get him to kill both. They've been making him as mad as possible, as frustrating as possible, so that he will try to kill both of them, because as soon as he stabs one... Them being the sacrifice will somehow magic them into his body instead of him into their body. Oh, so they're both screwing him over. Yes. Okay. And so right as he's about to stab the Aztec, God of the Dead, uh, the memory unlocks and he figures this all out that Darius told him that this is what's happening. And so instead he stabs himself in the heart. But since he's nearly all jade, it basically stabs the Aztec God right out of him and kills the Aztec God. Then Tabitha gets off the altar, doesn't understand what's happening. She's having some second thoughts about being the avatar of Santa Muerte or whatever. Picks up the dagger and it's like, you bitch, and stabs the goddess of the death, Santa Muerte. Which Eric's like, no, don't do that. But he's dead on the floor. Yeah. And so he, with his last ounce of strength, stabs Tabitha in the heart. Oh my god. To try and stop her from becoming this just new avatar of Santa Muerte yeah. or whatever. And then the Aztec afterlife explodes. And he gets kicked out to real life. We don't know but what's happening. does happened. that mean that he satisfied his promise to... No. Kept, okay. Because I think the Aztec afterlife is still there. It's just Santa Marte didn't get a chance to escape like okay. she wanted to. And he thinks he might have full-on killed the god of the dead. Um, Which, that's the end of this book. And then he gets back to L.A. to exercise his sister's ghost from her house. 
showing some personal growth across this thing. Which brings us to the good and the bad of this series, because I'm done uh, buying you the series. I'm not going <laughs> to uh, renting you the series. Um, the good is that, holy crap, is this an under sort of utilized mythology, Aztec yeah, mythology. Yeah, for sure. Um, in a lot of uh, good ways. And also, he's done, this author has done their research. Something yeah. fierce. Um, it was pretty fun to get to the Aztec stuff and have it be like, yeah, the Spanish did this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, they did do that thing. It mm-hmm. wasn't under where it's like the Aztecs were a bunch of bloodthirsty savages, but it also wasn't over where it's like they were peaceful people and the Spanish came around. And Well, ca- and it's also good to, I think sometimes my anxiety when folks are using mythology that's not white people mythology and the author is presumably potentially white i think i've seen a photo it's like is this gonna wind up being really racist and i don't no it's it it just is uh, no whatever i'm not greek um and so he in fact uh identified several spots in history that often get washed over like the fact that uh ernan cortez was actually an honored guest in tenochtitlan for a while Mm -hmm. uh, slash hostage but was like treated very very well and it wasn't until the spanish were like hurry the hell up and sent a dude over Cortez left, and one of his lieutenants is what screwed up the entire thing, and then, you know, Cortez yeah. proceeds to kill everybody again. Uh, and so it was kind of like, most people don't know that part. Good research on you, bud. Um, and so, yeah, he really did the historical footwork to to place this in history in a lot of uh, interesting ways. Yeah. Uh, and then it, I, I really liked the angle of the Aztec uh, side of it. Yeah. That, Plus, it's just fun. It's just fun, but... It's not as good as Otherworld. No, nothing will. Nothing will be. And I was trying to think, what is the difference between this bonkers and Otherworld bonkers, if you had to say? I think... I have some opinions, but I want to hear yours. I think the di- the main difference is, and what's lacking in this book, is like the sense of family and community in Otherworld. Like, the characters are written as though like they, they love each other and care about each other. There's their, like conferences around the kitchen table um and there's relationships with which makes it feel like the stakes are higher um whereas this one he's not really close with anyone i think the person he's probably closest with is tabitha and like there was alex in the first one but there's not really like he doesn't really have any sort of sense of community it's just him i would agree wholeheartedly it is the sense of home But also, I think that has a lot to do with the pacing. Whereas one of the things that makes this these books pretty good is They're that it is fast as hell. Yeah, pedal to the metal. Like it is one track. You are going on and on and on. But Otherworld had these like bursts of energy, and then it would take a second to take a breath, and then do another one and another yeah. one. And I think that that really worked to uh, bring a certain je ne sais quoi to the urban fantasy genre. Yeah, these are... This podcast has broken my brain. It has. These books, I think there's five or six of them, and they are each around 250 pages long. Like, yeah. it's... it's And they pack a lot into those 250 pages. Like, this guy uh, has was crushing Adderall the entire time. I think he got two hours of sleep across the, like, eight yeah, days that this book took place over. So, uh, this really is... Is uh, a whole bunch now that is fun to kind of read, but it doesn't have the same sort of uh, lasting impact on you and how I I felt after reading Otherworld books. And we now, also spent so many hours reading Otherworld books <laughs> and talking about Otherworld books. I will say that this does not seem to have graphic, explicit sex scenes, so it there is that. Mm-hmm. 
uh, for better or for worse. Um, but yeah, that we will thus ends the Eric Carter uh, Necromancer series. If you've enjoyed it so far, uh, pick it up. You will read it in like three days if you really try. But uh, I can't believe I have read enough bad books to have opinions on which bad books are better than others. Do you want to hear about your next bad book? Not really, but this is when the time that you... T- oh, God, I just saw the title. It's book four in the Boss Hole series. It's called Grumpalicious, an enemies to lovers fake marriage romance. Make them boys go loco. It has Chris Pine on the cover, right? Uh-huh. That looks like Chris Pine. I'll pay you $5 million and you marry me. You go on that abysmal reality show with me. I get your recording contract all squared away and we separate after that. During that time, you play doting wife. I sleep with whoever I like. And if you're lucky, it will be you at some point. Gross. So yeah, uh, have fun reading Grumpalicious by Mia Fey. Can't wait to see what you get me. Make this boy go loco if I have to read Grumpalicious. <laughs> I have not yet picked out your book, but feel uh, be be afraid, as Jason Isbell would say. Be very but afraid. Then, do but it do it, it anyway. Do it anyway. All right. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of uh, Bibliovile. It's a it's on the shorter end of of uh, the episodes we've been releasing, but it was longer than the fourteen minute episode yeah. last time. <laughs> Sorry, and you're welcome at the same time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Susan J. And you can find the show on Twitter at Bibliovile. You can find me on Twitter at Dickymon. The music for our podcast is Babe in the Night by the Bandy Licks are off of their album Rampo. Why did we flip this around? <laughs> Good night. Good night.